With no fees or minimums and no overdraft fees, banking with Capital One is the easiest decision in the history of decisions. Even easier than choosing Charles Barkley in a pickup game. We'll take Barkley. Ha! First pick! Sorry, kids! Yep, even easier than that. With no fees or minimums and no overdraft fees, is it even a decision? Okay, here's the plan. Pass me the ball every time. This is banking reimagined. What's in your wallet? Terms apply. See CapitalOne.com slash bank for details. Capital One and a member FDIC. This is the Exxon Broadcast Network, broadcasting worldwide on broadcast affiliates and satellite program providers, including CNN Broadcast Network, Sirius Satellite Network, Star Media, Good News Radio Network, Angel Broadcast Network, Wiki Broadcast Network, and WPBN-TV. For more information on the X-Zone Broadcast Network, visit us at www.xzbn.net. This is A Different Perspective with Kevin Randall. A retired U.S. Lieutenant Colonel, Kevin Randall has been studying UFOs for nearly 50 years. Kevin has investigated some of the most famous UFO cases in the world and has been consulted for dozens of documentaries about UFOs. Considered one of the leading experts into the Roswell UFO crash of 1947, Kevin has written more than 25 books about UFOs, including the recently published Roswell in the 21st Century. Now, here is the host of A Different Perspective, Kevin Randall. And I have returned with A Different Perspective. I am, in fact, Kevin Randall. And we'll be talking with Rob Zwiatek, uh, a board of, member of the board of directors for MUFON and a UFO researcher for many, many years in just a few minutes. I wanted to say that um, on the last program, I had promised that we'd be talking to Ben Moss. Unfortunately, we had some difficulties with that and couldn't make it work. So next week, I'll be talking to Ben Moss and Tony Angiola about the Socorro uh, UFO crash, what they have found lately, and I'll have an opportunity to bring up the book that I have just had published. Actually, it's coming out October 23rd, I believe, called uh, Encounter in the Desert, which is the Lonnie Zamora Socorro uh, UFO landing case, and what I found in my research over the last year about that as well. As I mentioned, I'm joined by Rob Zwiatak, who has a degree in physics and spent his career in the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office working on intellectual properties in a number of areas, including aeronautics and astronomics. His UFO involvement goes back to 1968 during what he called his larval stage when he, when the ongoing sightings in the University of Colorado UFO study permanently uh, nailed his attention. Once he arrived in Washington, D.C. after he completed college and that sort of thing, he joined the Fund for UFO Research and was subsequently elected to the executive committee around 2006 as the fund wound down due to a rise in the Internet and other factors. And I think the, the QFOs had a similar problem as well, the, the Internet getting in the way. He was asked to join MUFON's board of directors, which he did, and he continues to serve there. So, uh, And he also wanted me, I guess, to mention that uh, – the fund still exists, but it's largely dormant, and that's kind of the case of KUFOs as well. As I understand it, it's now housed in the basement of Mark Rodiger and um, one of the other people who was associated with the with KUFOs. Uh, Rob, 
welcome to A Different Perspective. Uh, hi, Kevin. Thank you. Thank you for having me on, and uh, happy uh, 60th anniversary of Sputnik, whatever that <laughs> means for you. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, the important one is the next one, which would be uh, November 2nd of 1957, when the uh, Leveland sightings began as well, and I think those are uh, important UFO sightings because of the number of people involved, the uh, interaction with the environment and the ugly fight that broke out between the civilian UFO community, including Don Kehoe at NICAP and uh, the United States Air Force about what really happened. So uh, I guess we're all set for that uh, anniversary yeah. as well. Yeah, we'll look forward to that one too. I think what we'll start with here, and I want to get into the photographs that you'd sent me taken just uh, not that long ago over Bernalino, Bernalino Lino County, which for those of you who don't know where Bernalino County is, it's uh, Albuquerque, New Mexico. Uh, series of photographs, you can see them at www.kevinrandall.blogspot.com. There's a series of four photographs that looks like the things on the ground. We'll talk about that here in a couple of minutes, but first uh, I thought we'd chat a little bit about fallout from the MUFON Symposium, which was the secret space programming. Remember, remembering I've got about a minute now to, to get into this, but I know that a number of people were unhappy with that program. Were you among those that was that were unhappy with the, the speakers? Well, I, I speak, yeah, I speak for myself here, and I would say that yes, I, I was unhappy with the uh, with the lineup this year, and I, I conveyed my feelings to uh, Jan Harzan, you know, a good friend of mine, uh, as soon as I found out about that, and which would have been in 2016. So yes, I was unhappy. Uh, I, I just I just brought that up, I, realizing, of course, it's your opinion and it does not reflect the board of directors of MUFON or anything else. It's your personal opinion about that. Right. But I brought that up so that we could kind of segue into some of that stuff that went on and some of the fallout from that. And there has been fallout because there were a large number of people in the MUFON organization, not only on the board of directors, but the, the lower levels who were quite annoyed about the uh, list of speakers and what was going on there. But unfortunately, we're going to have to wait a few minutes before we can get into that because I'm going to have to take a break here. Uh, what I'll do before we get into that, I'll mention once again, we'll be talking a little bit later about some photographs that were taken in the Albuquerque area um, not all that long ago. They are at www.kevinrandall.blogspot.com, so you can take a look at those photographs and see what we're talking about on that. And we'll talk about um, some other aspects of the UFO phenomenon and where things are going as we see it today when we come back right after this. So uh, take a look at those photographs. Take a look at uh, uh, Roswell in the 21st century, and we will be back right after this, so stick around. Broadcast Network, broadcasting worldwide on broadcast affiliates and satellite program providers, including CNN Broadcast Network, Sirius Satellite Network, Star Media, Good News Radio Network, 
Angel Broadcast Network, Wiki Broadcast Network, and WPBN-TV. For more information on the X-Zone Broadcast Network, visit us at www.xzbn.net. Did you know that when you're on the road with limited data or Wi-Fi, you can still listen to the X-Zone Radio Show with Rob McConnell, The Science of Magic with Gwilda Wiaka, X-1, Dimension X, Space Patrol, and every minute of the X-Zone Broadcast Network by calling 213-401-0080, courtesy of Audio Now. No smartphone, app, or internet needed. It saves your data plan and it's free if you have unlimited minutes. Call 213-401-0080 to listen on any phone, anytime, anywhere. Remember 213-401-0080 for the best of the paranormal, parapsychology, and sci-fi radio programming anywhere, 24-7-365. President of a new cancer foundation focusing on evidence-based physical, mental, and spiritual interventions, including natural cancer cures, prayer, meditation, affirmations, nutrition, and other related holistic cancer prevention and cure modalities. These are used in cancer education, research, and financing care. I ask for your help to continue this important work by donating at www.holisticcancerfoundation.com. Is it science or is it magic? Once a magical thing has been scientifically proven, is it no longer magic? Or is magic simply the science of tomorrow? Join me, Gwilda Wiecka, on The Science of Magic, a syndicated radio program dedicated to combining the science and magic of today's dynamic and controversial topics to co-create new solutions. By triangulating information from today's leading experts from the scientific and magical fields, we uncover expansive and evolutionary truths you won't find anywhere else. Join us daily on the Exxon Broadcast Network, xzbn.net, as I interview this, share the thoughts with the amazing guests from both science and magic. The resulting knowledge is unprecedented. As a gift to you, the listener, past episodes can be accessed on our website free of charge at thescienceofmagic.net. Little children aren't the only ones afraid of the dark. Millions of soldiers return from war zones with PTSD, anger, frustration, fear, and loneliness, much of which surfaces during the darkness of the night. You have the chance to change the lives of these American heroes. Songs and Stories for Soldiers.us provides free MP3 players for these men and women. With a list of 3 million songs in 16 different styles, 100,000 audiobooks, and 
than 30,000 old-time radio programs, every veteran can find something to soothe and comfort them at no cost. All our players contain an eight-hour audio program designed to help veterans fall asleep. With 1,500-plus vets now participating, it's our goal to deliver 10,000 audio players this year. Go to our website at songsandstoriesforsoldiers.us. Help us help a veteran make it through the night. As I promised, we are back. I'm joined by Rob Zwiatek, and we went away. When we went away, I should say, uh, we were talking a little bit about the MUFON Symposium. And I think the first question I'm going to ask, to be fair to MUFON on that, were there speakers on the program that you thought were appropriate for a MUFON Symposium? Well, that's a good question, Kevin. Yes. The we're going family style deal. Because I want a bite of your Big Mac. And I need some of your quarter pounds. I'll try your filet of fish. There's a deal for every friend group at McDonald's. Order any two classics for just six bucks. Price of participation may vary. Single item at regular price cannot be combined with any other offer. With the new Chevy Silverado, you might be driving in this. But with the Silverado's redesigned interior and large infotainment screens, it'll feel more like this. Introducing the new 2022 Chevy Silverado. Find new upgrades. Find new roads. Chevrolet. I did, I did feel there were a few, a few that were appropriate. They were in the minority, but they were there. Uh, Debbie Ziegelmeyer, for example, was, was gave a pretty conventional talk on UFOs, and I think in the oceans and that type thing. And we had a fellow named uh, Dr. Woodward who, who spoke about um, accepted physics and, and how it's tackling the problem of faster than light travel and, and maybe interstellar travel. And then another fellow named Michael Schratt who talked about uh, air, aircraft projects that the, that the military might be involved in that might be confused with UFOs, this, this type thing. But um, so yeah, the, 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 those three I think fell within the purview of what I would call uh, UFO talks. Was there anybody that talked about UFO sightings going on today or their research into UFO sightings? Uh, wow, you're, uh, you're pushing me there. I, <laughs> I don't believe there were, Kevin. I don't think there was a, a talk on uh, uh, just the, the latest and greatest sightings, this type of thing, which, which I dearly would have liked to have seen, but that was not on there. In, in, in a sense, it wasn't a true, uh, and I told this to Jan, a true UFO conference in the sense that sightings did not predominate the talks. It was all about, with the exception, the three exceptions I gave you, all about uh, uh, clandestine or secret space programs, this type of thing. In the past, I know that the MUFON conference has been, I, I mean, there was a list of speakers you could almost count on every year. Uh, Stan Friedman talking about his um, research and MJ-12. You could... Uh, probably find a two or three people talking about abductions and what was going on there. Um, I was there a couple of times. I've talked about, uh, one of them I talked about, Len Stringfield, and sort of a tribute to him. I talked about the Roswell research and things like that. Mm. Um, I know Linda Moulton Howe was there one one year with John Burroughs of Rendlesham For uh, Forest fame, talking about what his... Uh, I guess, recovered memories were about and what had happened at Rendlesham Forest. So there was always a, this, this this idea that we're looking at UFO research, we're looking at where it's going, uh, maybe talking about some of the problems with UFO research and that sort of thing. But what you're saying to me now is what they did is they went off on this secret space program. And I, um, I guess one of the fellows was talking about how he had served in a clandestine army 
um, a secret army that uh, was recruited on Earth and fought battles on Mars and other planets and that sort of thing. What was the reaction to the people at the conference to those those kind of talks? Yeah, well, I'll, I'll, I'll preface by saying that, and, and th think think of me what you will after I say this, but it's I'll, I'll be straightforward and honest with you. And I, I did not, I, I was there at the conference and attended the board meeting and, and was physically there outside the meeting room the whole weekend, but I did not, I did not attend the talks. And that's you, the long and the short of it. But nonetheless, I, from, from what I gauged of people coming out and, and you know, milling around in the, in you know, 10 feet from the conference room, I, I heard, I heard. Good and bad things. Let me put it that way. Some people loved this kind of a, a speaker lineup, and in all fairness to Mufon, and I am on the board, and I and so I'm not going to. I'll, I'll be again honest here. They did very well from this conference monetarily, excellently, and far more than last year. But I also heard comments from people who indicated that uh, some of what they had heard was just beyond the pale. Uh, talks about going forward in time or backward in time or meeting dinosaurs or meeting Obama on Mars and all this kind of just completely crazy stuff. And so, so yes, I heard some people that were quite angry and, and other people that seemed to find it a refreshing uh, breath of uh, air. There were people that actually accepted this nonsense. Is that what you're saying? There are. There are some people who, who do. Yes, Absolutely. Absolutely. Does this bode well for MUFON, though, that the conference did well with this lineup of speakers? I mean, that would seem to encourage them to do a similar lineup next year. Is, is that kind of in the offing? Or are they going to kind of go back to more of the UFO research aspect of it? Well, I, I honestly don't know. Uh, I, I would assume that they're going to go back to a more conventional lineup. But the, the board of directors doesn't really have, at least until until this year, up to this year, doesn't really have any influence in who the speakers are. So I, I don't know who they are going to be for next year. I think it's right outside Philadelphia or in, in uh, New Jersey. And I would assume the speakers have already been chosen. And I, I, I do seem to recall, now that I'm thinking about it, seeing uh, a, a paper with some of the speakers on, but I honestly couldn't tell you who they are right now. I've, they, they've come and gone through my mind. But I wasn't as... Uh, alarmed as I was last year when I heard what the speakers for this year's were going to be. So it may be a more traditional list of speakers that'll show up. That, maybe that's more of a hope, but, but that's, that's what I want to think, yes. And, and I think ultimately what, what anybody has to do, whether they're with MUFON or whether they're an attendee just attending the conferences, is ask oneself, how does any particular slate of speakers for a conference affect the credibility of the organization that's sponsoring them? Is this something that enhances the goal of the of the organization, or or is it something that is are are they just there to to arouse controversy or uh, to fill seats? But you know, we'll be damned with the credibility of the organization as a result. That's what you have to ask yourself. How did it affect our credibility? And there, maybe the the, the results might be somewhat more mixed. Uh, and, and again, I speak more as a scientist. And it, if I were a scientist coming into the UFO field who wanted to know a little bit more about uh, what's this subject all about, what do some of the speakers have to say about ongoing UFO events, and then I heard some of this kind of stuff, uh, 
I, I would be very discouraged, to, to, to put it extremely mildly. Well, I know that a um, number of years ago, I'd done a, uh, I was on a, at a convention or somewhere in um, uh, it was Mesa, Arizona. And what always <laughs> cracked me up about that is I could stand on my balcony in Mesa, Arizona and see the Superstition Mountains where the Lost Dutchman supposedly was. And I'm thinking, wow, we could do an expedition looking for the Lost Dutchman mine uh, and, and stay overnight at the Holiday Inn rather than having to camp out. But that's just neither here nor there. What the point was is a reporter who was there uh, had talked to Harley Bird, who at one time was the nephew of Admiral Byrd, and I say one time because he later promoted himself and he became a grandson. And uh, a research into into uh, Admiral Byrd's um, ancestry or lineage showed no Harley Bird in it. And mm -hmm. the question that the reporter asked me, doesn't it hurt your credibility to be at a program that promotes people like Harley Bird, who clearly is out in left field? I mean, he was talking about the inner earth and all of that nonsense. And uh, I said at that time that I was trying to bring a, a breath of science to ufology by talking about research techniques and methodology and what I'd found in the research as opposed to I'm traveling to the inner earth and I've seen all of these sorts of things that Admiral Byrd supposedly discovered on mm -hmm. his various expeditions to the, to the poles. So, uh, on the, on the one hand, I, you know, that's what I'm saying is I can understand where the credibility of MUFON may suffer. And I know that there was a response at the lower levels that a number of state directors um, resigned their positions to go off in another direction. Was there, is there, was there a similar reaction by the board of directors? Were there people who punched out of the board because of this? Or do we not really know anything about that? Did we lose any board of directors, members of the board? Yeah, well, that's a good question. No, 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 we didn't. Uh, well, Bob Wood retired from the board, so he, so he left. He was one of the organizers of the conference and was a strong supporter of the Secret Space Program, program. but he left simply because he felt he'd been around on the board long enough. So no, uh, no nobody left uh, because of the program. And, and, and one thing I, I will say, Kevin, it's, it's I, I'm not occupying the position that Jan Harzan is with, with MUFON, but he, he's in a tough spot in, in a certain sense. MUFON some time ago realized it now requires substantial assets to keep the organization going forward. They have a, a rather large budget because they have to pay a number of people full-time salaries and just being online costs a lot of um, thousands of dollars a year to, to, to keep the online, uh, com the computers and, and everything working well. So, so they can't always, or Jan can't always make a decision based in purely on, wow, I just got to have a lot of science speakers. At, at some point, they have to think, what's going to also pull in some people? So they're going to gauge, trying to gauge the popular opinion a little bit and pull in people that maybe you and I would say, wow, I would never have them at a conference, but people want to see these folks. So this kind of a decision has to be made. And uh, otherwise, ultimately, MUFON goes goes belly up because it's going to run out of money. And so, so I think that Jan and some others sort of put their toes in the water he listened to some other people say hey maybe these kind of people will 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 drum up some interest in and, and we'll get more attendees than usual and and that indeed seemed to be the case that that did happen there were a lot of people who showed up at the conference to hear these speakers tell their impossible tales 
Well, that's what that's the only conclusion I can reach. If you come to the conference, you probably do know who is speaking and uh, and you should do your homework and learn. You shouldn't be blindsided when you get here. And I think some people were. Uh, they were blindsided. Maybe they come to the conference every year and all suddenly they're hearing this kind of stuff. But but nonetheless, we the schedule was published well in advance and, and the speakers were advertised well in advance on the website. And uh, Everyone should have known what they were getting involved with when they saw these these speakers, and 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 as Jan would put it, let them hear these speakers and make up their own minds about about this. We're not we're not taking an opinion on it, but we'll let the the attendees make up their we'll present them all the facts, let them make up their minds. In other words, well, I know I published an awful lot of stuff, or not maybe a lot of stuff, but I published stuff on the blog about who the speakers were and why I found the mm -hmm. some of the tales incredible. Uh, meaning that it just was impossible to believe, but uh, I had no plans to go to the conference anyway, so it, mm. it didn't upset me one way or another. But it also seemed to me that what was being suggested here is Jan Harzon is more of a businessman as opposed to a UFO researcher, and he's moving uh, MUFON into a more corporate realm where the I guess the function of the organization is to make money to continue the organization as opposed to do real scientific research. Well, yeah, that, that, that is one way of looking at it, Kevin. Uh, 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 when, when you fund with no fees or minimums and no overdraft fees, banking with Capital One is the easiest decision in the history of decisions. Even easier than choosing Charles Barkley in a pickup game. We'll take Barkley. Ha! First pick. Sorry, kids. <laughs> yep, even easier than that. With no fees or minimums and no overdraft fees, is it even a decision? Okay, here's the plan. Pass me the ball every time. This is banking reimagined. What's in your wallet? Terms apply. See CapitalOne.com slash bank for details. Capital One and a member FDIC. With no fees or minimums and no overdraft fees, banking with Capital One is the easiest decision in the history of decisions. Even easier than choosing Charles Barkley in a pickup game. We'll take Barkley. Ha! First pick. Sorry, kids. <laughs> yep, even easier than that. With no fees or minimums and no overdraft fees, is it even a decision? Okay, here's the plan. Pass me the ball every time. This is banking reimagined. What's in your wallet? Terms apply. See CapitalOne.com slash bank for details. Capital One and a member FDIC. Move from uh, Cincinnati uh, out to uh, Newport Beach in California. Immediately you get a, an enormous increase in, in what everything costs from rent to people's salaries to, you know, costs of uh, supply costs, office costs, this type thing. And I think Jan realized very quickly he had to do something more or less more grandiose than maybe MUFON was used to doing or switch the emphasis of MUFON uh, to to raising money here to, you know, pay the large office rents that you have to pay out there and, and pay the higher salaries that you have to pay the the office workers out there. So he's, in, in that sense, he's between a rock and a hard place. The, the other point of that is that case investigations continue to go on unabated. And, and well, the, let me let me break in here because I'm going to have to take a break yeah. and say, I, I, I think we've kind of beat this this dead horse here long enough and we'll move on to some of the UFO sightings here. Uh, as I say, when we, we come back, we're going to talk about this Albuquerque sighting. The pictures are at www.kevinrandall.blogspot.com for those of you who want to look at it. There'll be a little bit of additional information. There's already been some discussion on the blog about those. So uh, take a look at that. I will return with Rob Zviatek here in just a few moments and we'll talk about UFO 
sightings as opposed, as opposed to MUFON. So stick around. This is the Exxon Broadcast Network, broadcasting worldwide on broadcast affiliates and satellite program providers, including CNN Broadcast Network, Sirius Satellite Network, Star Media, Good News Radio Network, Angel Broadcast Network, Wiki Broadcast Network, and WPBN-TV. For more information on the X-Zone Broadcast Network, visit us at www.xzbn.net. How would you like to be able to read other people's minds? Well, the next best thing is here. When you know how to read a person's name, you know how the person thinks, feels, and behaves. Each letter in our name holds a key to unlock our true essence. Our name contains both our gifts and challenges in this lifetime. Nemology Science discovers personality secrets hidden in the placement of the letters of our names, including the first and last impression people remember about us. Sharon shows us how to interpret the arrangement of letters as outlined in her book, Know the Name, Know the Person. Sharon Lynn Wyeth created Nemology Science after 18 years of research and testing her theories and has supported thousands of people around the world in understanding themselves and others better. You'll enjoy Sharon's unique teachings as she shares her system to learn the gifts behind your given birth name. Even if you don't like your birth name, there are jewels in this book. If you're thinking of changing your name, ready to name your child, or wanting to get along better with others, this is the book for you. If you'd like to improve your relationships and change your life for the better, get the book today, Know the Name, Know the Person, or visit www.knowthename.com. That's www.knowthename.com. Hello, I'm Justina Marsh, and with my dad, Pete, we are going to present a new show called Too Good to Be True. Together, we are aiming to discover more truths about this world and beyond. Do you have unanswered questions about the world? Do you ever wonder about aliens, conspiracy theories, or the universe? There are many shows discussing subjects such as pyramids or UFOs, but we want to relay this information based on our own research, including from spiritual means. Hopefully, listeners will be helped with their own beliefs and will appreciate the psychic insights that add to the previous research and information. We both look forward to sharing this insight and beginning this journey with our listeners. Visit xzbn.net for more information about when to listen. Ancient prophecies, legends, and current events indicate we're entering a high-frequency era supporting enlightenment. During expansive times, old rules fail, necessitating access to the ever-shifting currents of life for guidance. There's an ancient form of shamanism through which we can obtain the information we need. I'm Gwilda Wiecka, founder and director of Path Home Shamanic Art School, with a great new provision for those interested in spiritual evolution and personal empowerment. Galactic Shamanism, Art of the Ancients, Key to Tomorrow is an upcoming series of leading-edge online affordable classes designed to guide and support you and your family during these times of transition. Embrace the magic. Empower your life. 
Study Galactic Shamanism at findyourpathhome.com. This is the Exxon Broadcast Network, broadcasting worldwide on broadcast affiliates and satellite program providers, including CNN Broadcast Network, Sirius Satellite Network, Star Media, Good News Radio Network, Angel Broadcast Network, Wiki Broadcast Network, and WPBN-TV. For more information on the X-Zone Broadcast Network, visit us at www.xzbn.net. I told you just a few moments ago we'd be back, and we are. I'm joined by Rob Zwiatek. We've... uh, I think kind of exhausted the MUFON uh, conversation, unless there was something, Rob, you wanted to say that, I mean, we were a little bit rough on, on MUFON if there was some something else you wanted to say kind of in defense, meaning you were talking about the problems with the expenses of MUFON and how uh, Jan Harzon has taken steps to put some money into the coffers. I don't know if we needed to say any more about that or not. I think that, that pretty well sums it up, Kevin. I, I don't think they've dropped the ball too much on their traditional work, which is to say case investigations. And this is what MUFON does best. They're not the fund for UFO research. They weren't, and they're not the center for UFO studies. They're an an organization that tries to do field investigations to the best of their ability. And that continues. And in that vein, I think you sent me some photographs, as I've said repeatedly on the program, (laughs) at (laughs) www.kevinrandall.blogspot.com, which is a good way to plug my blog. Um, so you can take a look at anybody can, can take a look at those pictures while we're talking here, if they so desire, but, uh, you sent me these pictures, give me a little bit of background about the, about what they are and what they show and other information. Yeah, this is, these, these are, these are a set of pictures that were taken over New Mexico in, in 2016. And I'm, I've been particularly interested in these things because four pictures were taken from an airliner at about 30, 35,000 feet. And um, by a, by a person who who saw these very very three three brightly glowing objects, either on the ground or or hovering in the air, it's difficult to tell. The four pictures show exactly the same thing from slightly different angular perspectives as the aircraft moved along, and uh, the person took four pictures with their camera. And their seatmate, the person right next to them, also saw these objects too. And th- it's. Yeah, they're very definite. They, they're delineated very clearly. The light was so bright, he said it hurt his eyes to look directly at it. And I can understand. The time was about noontime. It was uh, a bright day. And uh, so the sun would have been straight overhead. These objects were a little bit at, at a distance from the aircraft. They weren't right below the aircraft. And, uh, and, and I've been puzzled by these things. The MUFON investigator did a good job on, on looking into these things and, and, and tagged it with an un, unidentified, unknown label. And that's where it's rested uh, for a while now. Until recently, I was going through the files and found another photograph taken over the same region just last July, uh, excuse me, just last June, uh, also from an aircraft that seems to show the three identical objects. So. It seems to me it must be something on the ground, but I'll be damned if I know what it is. What direction was the airplane going? 
Well, I assume it was going, in each case, it must have been going west, Kevin. In the first case, it was going to L.A. from Chicago. In the second case, it was going from, in June, uh, Albuquerque to Burbank, California. So unless it makes some kind of a weird perturbation in its, in its flight path, it was heading west. So you're saying it was going from uh, Albuquerque to L.A. That would suggest the objects are to the west of Albuquerque. They were, they were in New Mexico, and they're to the west of Albuquerque. Yeah, well, that's that's a little bit of an assumption, but I think it's a pretty good assumption. When a person is up in an airplane, it's hard to say, unless you're actually looking at the Statue of Liberty, you don't know where you are exactly over the land. So the person uh, in this latest case in June estimated they were over, um, I, I, I forget the county name now, but it wasn't Bernalillo, whereas in the first case, the person said, oh, we were over Bernalillo, uh, New Mexico. And I think it was Jackson County or something like that in this last case. But that's all I have in terms of location. And uh, I think the, it was also said that the objects were not, could not be seen from the ground, I guess, meaning that they were not like close to a road or something like that. Well, we have a paucity of data on this case and, and feedback from the witnesses, but the witness to the one uh, that was over, the aircraft was over Bernalillo said he thought these objects were on the ground and that this is, sort of more or less paraphrasing the the witness, he said there was an embankment of some kind uh, around these objects that would prevent them from being seen by somebody at ground level. In other words, a wall or something going up around them. I, I don't know how the person concluded that, but that's that's what they put in their report. And the person in the second case on the 25th of June, 2017, said um, they gave a little more of a... Uh, uh, an indefinite kind of a uh, description of it. They said they could have been in the air or on the ground, and that person wasn't too sure where they were. Well, from the descriptions you're giving me, it sounds it sounds like we're not really talking about any kind of an alien visitation or alien spacecraft. We're talking about something that was erected on the ground that is sort of anomalous because we don't know what it is. I, 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 right. It could I, be it it could be um, sun reflecting off a. Ponds. It could be sunlight reflecting off solar arrays of some kind or something like that. Uh, yeah, we're talking about an unknown thing here, but I do think you and I are both talking about an IFO here. I would be very surprised if that's not the case. But nonetheless, strange things happen in ufology, and it could be that these really are three three objects just hovering outside the aircraft or flying by outside the aircraft, uh, and they... <laughs> Uh, that's just by coincidence, the same kind of things show up again uh, a year or two later. Well, looking at the photographs myself, it looked like it. there is some terrain features around as well that might uh, hide the uh, uh, objects, whatever they are, mm -hmm. from anybody, uh, but anybody traveling at ground level unless they come up close to them. So, uh, and I didn't really see any evidences of roads or anything like that, but the photograph was taken from, what, 35,000, 34,000 feet? Yeah, something like that. So the airplane's quite high, and that translates to around, what, seven miles? Yeah, that's so correct. You're, you're looking at something seven miles away, and if it's an angular, a slant rate, as we used to say in the military when we are trying to calculate surface-to-air missiles, slant rates, um, it, it adds adds to the distance from, A, the camera, and, the, and B, the, uh, the, the observer. Uh, was it a cell phone camera, or was it a regular uh, digital camera? I believe it was a cell phone. The, the, okay, the, the first case was a cell phone camera. The second case, actually, 
and I may have given the wrong impression, the second case that occurred in June was a video, actually, a 48-second video. So we have one frame uh, that's been snagged from the video. But it, yeah, it's, 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 it's the video showing the objects uh, as the plane passes by them. They do not move relative to one another, and they do seem like they're features on the ground. And the other thing I'll say, I just don't don't mean to belittle cell phone cameras because they're now, what, 13 megapixels, 15 yeah, megapixels, right. 24 megapixels. So the quality of the, the photographs being taken by the cell phone cameras is as good as many of the photographs you'd be taken by a regular digital camera. So Exactly. I don't mean to denigrate that. Uh, in um, the world of UFO, I seem to notice that we're not getting as many abduction reports anymore, is it? We're not getting as many reports, or are they just not being reported because UFO research has taken a different direction? That's, yeah, I, I, I don't honestly want to give, I can't, can give you a great answer to that question, Kevin, other than that, that has been my impression over the past 15 years, actually since the turn of the century, that the amount of abduction, the attention that abductions have gotten in society as a large has gone, at large has gone down, and the number of reports coming in has also gone down, uh, but but I, I don't see too many figures coming out of the uh, the abduction research team in MUFON to to sort of update us each month on you know how many cases they're getting and may, maybe that would be a nice feature to have in the journal. Uh, but but I couldn't really give you numbers of cases where I could give you numbers of cases on sightings. Would, <laughs> would the problem with abductions be that we've lost some of the, the gurus of abduction? Uh, John Mack was, of course, killed in the hit-and-run accident. Bud Hopkins has passed away. Uh, I think David Jacobs is pretty much retired, and they were the big three. Is Could that be a factor driving the, the lack of abduction reports? I, I, I think that that is part of it, because these people uh, were, were trusted in the field and many people or they were they were names in the field and, and they were trusted and people came to them with their reports but yes you I, I think you're correct that a person doesn't really know where to go now other than MUFON just as a general entity if they have a uh, an abduction case there there are a number of abduction support groups around the country and people still run these things but um, if someone has a an abduction like experience and they're not associated with with an, a researcher already, they might find it hard to know where to go. I noticed in the, um, oh, let's say the, the, the documentaries, and I use the term documentary loosely here, uh, on television, on the cable channels, that uh, they feature an awful lot of things, UFO-related um, sightings and that sort of thing, but abductions don't seem to be showing up very often. So that would would that be that would probably be another factor, I guess. Well, yeah, at the height of it, uh, Kevin, in, in the late '80s and early '90s, uh, there were an awful lot of specials on TV. Uh, the internet wasn't as big, of course, and so this did tend to drive it. As well as uh, there was an article on on abductions in USA Today with some of the people we worked with, and and you had the MIT conference coming out, which was ostensibly to talk about UFO abductions and a number of best-selling books. And all these things r really resulted in a huge influx of sightings to all the organizations. Uh, the fund would get, we had a whole clump of sightings, uh, abduction reports that is, and, and I know the center did and MUFON did. And those drivers, you know, the, the books, the conferences, the newspaper articles, the researchers are, are not there as much anymore. So yeah, the profile at least of the abduction uh, phenomenon has gone down considerably in the field. Well, I noticed uh, 
or something I, I, I've always thought about is we, we talk about the wave of UFO sightings and how one sighting will spark lots and lots of other sightings. And it's sort of suggested it's sort of a historical, uh, historical, hysterical uh, response to this. And I always thought that it might be that uh, one good sighting gets play in the press and you get the names of people who are involved in the research or organizations involved in the research. And back, back in the day, it would have been the APRO and NICAP and, and the center and the fund, that sort of thing. And people knew where to report the stuff. So I have a UFO sighting and I have a place to go to report it. But uh, when we move away from that and get into a more dry period and we have a sighting, that kind of information is readily available and that might drive part of the problem. Oh, I think that's absolutely part of it. And uh, like I say, and like like you're saying here too, people don't always know where to go other than oh, I found a MUFON, uh, the MUFON site, and I can log it in on a CMS system, and and that indeed happens. Uh, but usually the abduction cases are handled by a different set of investigators in in in, in MUFON, and uh, and that's then I I don't know exactly how many cases they're dealing with, and that's that's part of the problem. There isn't uh, uh, there aren't other people other than MUFON that one can readily turn to, uh, to, to, to report a UFO experience to Dave, Dave Jacobs. I don't think he takes anybody new anymore. And like I said, we've, we've lost Bud Hopkins. We lost John mm -hmm. Mack. I know Kathleen Marden is still doing research and, and she is, I guess, a cog in the MUFON machinery and abduction research, but. Yeah. She's um, one of the heads of the, of the abduction research team. But, they do a good job, but. And, and MUFON has also put the word out there that they, they really ha have tightened up on the kind of investigators they want doing abduction research. They don't want amateur hypnotists and, and people just regressing from some course they, they took on YouTube or whatever. They're trying to approach it from a much more professional uh, perspective. Uh, and so we don't have as many wannabe Bud Hopkins or wannabe Dave Jacobs out there because they can't at least work with MUFON unless they get... Uh, a little bit more uh, credentials with respect to investigative and, and almost psychological uh, courses under their belt. Well, we're going to have to take another break. As I say, the pictures we were discussing is available at www.kevinrandall.blogspot.com. There's been some comments about there, but I think some of them are very interesting and that sort of thing. So you can take a look at that. You can add your comments if you so desire, if you have ideas of what this might have been. I'll be returning here for the last segment with Rob Swiatek. And I have a book coming out in just a few weeks, and we'll talk about that when we come back right after this. The Earth is under ever-increasing pressure from untenable lifestyles and growing populations. Yet, viable answers seem in short supply. What if I told you there's an ancient form that can empower you to take charge of your life? What if your entire family could be enfolded and supported by life itself, finding safe passage through challenging times? I'm Gwilda Wiecka, founder and director of Path Home Shamanic Arts School with great news, an upcoming series of leading-edge online affordable classes based in an ancient form of shamanism easily learned and used by your entire family. Galactic Shamanism, Art of the Ancients, Key to Tomorrow are a series of online adult and children's lessons instructing your entire family on natural law, how to cooperate with and be supported by the powers of the universe. Visit findyourpathhome.com to find these unique and powerful classes. This is the Exxon Broadcast Network, broadcasting worldwide on broadcast affiliates and satellite program providers, including CNN Broadcast Network, Sirius Satellite Network, Star Media, Good News Radio Network, 
Angel Broadcast Network, Wiki Broadcast Network, and WPBN-TV. For more information on the X-Zone Broadcast Network, visit us at www.xzbn.net. Did you know that when you're on the road with limited data or Wi-Fi, you can still listen to the X-Zone Radio Show with Rob McConnell, The Science of Magic with Gwilda Wiaka, X-1, Dimension X, Space Patrol, and every minute of the X-Zone Broadcast Network by calling 213-401-0080, courtesy of Audio Now. No smartphone, app, or internet needed. It saves your data plan and it's free if you have unlimited minutes. Call 213-401-0080 to listen on any phone, anytime, anywhere. Remember 213-401-0080 for the best of the paranormal, parapsychology, and sci-fi radio programming anywhere, 24-7-365. Are you curious? Do you want to learn more about how the world works and have fun at the same time? Study coincidences with me, Dr. Bernie Beitman, MD, on my Connecting with Coincidence radio show here on the XZBN network. Listen to Jungians theorize, statisticians randomize, true believers evangelize while I categorize. I dance to the rhythm of coincidences. People who experience me see more of them. Maybe something on the show matches a thought in your mind. Let us know. Expand your mind to the weirdness happening around you. Synchronicity spoken here, there, and everywhere. For more information, put Connecting with Coincidence in your search engine and find my website, my social media sites, and my blog. is truth. Historically, we viewed things as either being true or false. Now as we enter a more expansive era, we find the question is not, is it true, but rather, how true is it? I'm Gwilda Wiecka, host of the Science of Magic Radio, a syndicated, internationally broadcast radio program dedicated to uncovering this ever-expanding truth. Join me daily on the Exxon Broadcast Network, xzbn.net, as I interview today's leading experts from the fields of science and magic to uncover the hidden truth between the lines drawn in the sand. What we unearth in our discussions is not only amazing, but totally unprecedented. You won't want to miss a single episode. In service to our listeners, past episodes can always be found on our website with our compliments at thescienceofmagic.net. As I have been saying, I was joined by Rob Zwiatek. I am joined by Rob Zwiatek. When we went away, I had mentioned the book that's coming out, and I stopped uh, quickly on that because I realized I was running out of time and we were going to hit the uh, hard break for the commercials. So I <laughs> didn't give you the name of the book. It's called Encounters in the Desert, and it refers to, or it's about the Lonnie Zamora sighting, and it's an outgrowth of one of the programs that we had done about a year ago uh, with. Ben Moss and Tony Angiola, and they will be joining me next week on the program so we can talk a little bit about more 
little bit more about the Zamora case and what we found and I found uh, in that research. Um, when we went away, we were kind of wrapping up, I think, abductions and how it is not the uh, most important subset of ufology anymore that people have moved away from that kind of like cattle mutilations was the big thing in the 70s and the 80s and crop circles and we have all these subsets of of ufology um so the question i guess i come back to are we getting or are is mufon getting more just spacecraft type sightings things that people believe are spacecraft is that is that what's driving the field at the moment i i would say that that it, that it is kevin uh, if you want to talk about a driver in the field right now, it doesn't have a huge profile uh, or prominence in, in society at large. But within ufology, yes, um, UFON is getting a hell of a lot of cases coming in. Uh, I, I tallied them up a couple days ago, which is to say at the beginning of this month. And events that occurred from January to uh, through the end of September, MUFON received almost 4,000 of these. So 4,000 events that occurred just in 2017. So they're on record for maybe... Uh, you know, 500 cases per month remaining in the year. So another 1,500 cases added on to that. And that's a typical year. And Well, let me let me say one thing. First of all, you can't say hell on the radio. That, was a, little, that was a little humor there. Because obviously oh. I just said hell on the radio. <laughs> um, are, the, are the sightings as robust as they used to be? I mean, in, in, take the 1950s, for example, the Leveland sightings. We had, we had witnesses at 13 locations. The thing is interacting with the environment. It's stalling car engines. Uh, there's people all over the place seeing this thing. Are we getting that kind of sighting anymore? Are they just basically lights in the sky or, or maybe a, a daylight disc type sighting? Yeah, one, one, one caveat to that. But uh, yes, the answer would be yes, with one caveat. And I think you, you're probably well aware of this. There are far fewer uh, car stoppage cases and far fewer uh, CE3s where it's not an abduction, but a, a, an object is seen in, in, in conjunction with entities of some type, what we used to call occupants. Those are, have been down since the 1970s, and nobody is really sure why. But other than that, if you and, and those still come in. They just come in at a very low level. Uh, th there are some really good cases that do continue to come in, cases that would just flabbergast most people who are hearing about them. And uh, so, yes, the good, robust cases are still there. I can say that uh, with a clear conscience. Give me one of the good, robust cases in the few minutes we've got left here. I stress few minutes. Yeah, I, I know. I know we're coming down the end of the wire. Well, let me give you a pair of them because they're, they're tied together. And uh, I'll see if I can summarize this within the uh, six or seven minutes we have left, uh, Kevin. This, this case occurred about a year ago, last November, uh, over, uh, over Brentwood, California. A uh, fellow saw an orange, an orange light outside, uh, outside his window, kind of late at night, 11, 11.30 or so, 11 in the evening, and uh, went outside on his deck when he saw the object, uh, this light, go over the, the neighbor's house. And he stepped outside. What, what he saw was basically uh, uh, an object the size of a dime held at, at arm's length. That's fairly large, hovering about 2,000 feet above the neighbor's house. And this object was oval. I, I will say football shape, but he didn't use that word, oval. His daughter came out and also saw it at the same time. As they were watching this object, uh, no noise or anything like that, uh, it, it slowly maneuvered away from the house a little bit. And at that point, uh, the object disgorged uh, a ball of light. Uh, he called it an orb. Everybody calls them orbs now. Uh, and and this, this, this thing came from the side of the object and curled around underneath it. 
And as it continued on its way, two more objects shot out from below this object down toward the ground, you know, in a vertical manner. And the, the little balls of light disappeared before they reached the ground. Now, you might say this isn't the greatest case I've ever heard, but there is the rest of the story. As they were watching this object, it, it just faded away. It, it didn't fly off rapidly. It, it, it didn't pop out of existence. It just faded away in the, in the daughter's words. And she was very alarmed about seeing these, these three objects be disgorged from this craft or shot, shot below it. Well, let's go back to 2009 uh, in, in a case that was reported on MUFON. A pilot well, let, me, let me interrupt for a question yeah. here. In the, the day of the ubiquitous cell phone camera, did anybody think to take a picture? Uh, there is no picture of this one. I, I've been looking at a lot of cases here lately, and I don't know if he tried to take a picture and it didn't come out, but there is no picture in, okay. in, this, in this case. Yeah, this, this one had a duration of about three minutes. I think they were staying there spellbound. Mark Rodiger once uh, uh, quoted Amy McKellen saying that uh, a witness to a UFO sighting said that if, if he were standing on a pile of a thousand cameras, he wouldn't have thought to use one of them. So a lot of times we run into that phenomenon. Persons have a camera, they're too spellbound or too amazed to take a picture. But no picture exists in this, nor, nor does one exist in the corollary case that, that occurred in uh, in, in, I think it was July of 2009 over Houston International Airport. A pilot was in the final uh, phases of takeoff and he noticed what appeared to be an orange football-shaped object about five miles away at the approach, at the, at the final approach to the runway for incoming aircraft at, at that time. He was amazed. He, he, at first he thought it was a helicopter. He, he, he looked away a little bit, looked at some charts or something. He looked back up and the object was much closer. Now it was about a mile away, and he realized this was not a helicopter. Big oval object with sort of an antenna coming out at an angle. As he was watching, this object shot three small balls of light down toward the ground. The balls would disappear before they hit the ground. He, he, he was just beside himself, and the co-pilot was too. They didn't know what to do. They thought this was an extremely dangerous situation. Then as they were watching, in the pilot's words, the object just faded away. So, so here we have two, two uh, this was the same phenomenon in each of these cases, the Brentwood, California, and the Houston one. I'm not saying it was physically the same object, but it was the same phenomenon. And it wasn't uh, a weather phenomenon. It wasn't a satellite, certainly. It wasn't a helicopter. It wasn't another aircraft. The fellow in Brentwood saw it, you know, just a couple thousand feet above his house, the neighbor's house, and maybe half a mile away laterally or so. So th this is a good case. And, and this is the kind of case that one needs to, to study to know that whatever the UFO phenomenon is, it, it, it continues. And, and, and this kind of a case of an object shooting down balls occurred the very day of the 24th of June, 1947. There was a good case that describes an object doing that. The very day Kenneth Arnold saw his objects near Mount Rainier. So I think it's a case like this is a terrifically good case. Because it does sort of tie into the beginning of the modern era, although I would say the modern era began with the Foo Fighters in World War II, but that's just me. Mm -hmm. uh, but, I mean, that was one of the things that always seemed that the UFO sightings, uh, there wasn't any, wasn't much in the way of commonality. And you're kind of discussing commonality here of, of things. Yeah. Which, yeah. which could suggest some kind of natural phenomena of which we're not really cognizant of, but it also could mean something else. Exactly, uh, Kevin. 
I, I was reading Heineck a little bit the other day, and he, he talked about how in the early days of, uh, of, of Project Sign a little bit and Project Grudge before Project Blue Book, they, they had identified like f four types of objects that, that, that were, were seen back then, you know, a disc, balls of light, cigar-shaped objects, uh, flying wing type objects or, or uh, circular objects, this type thing. And, and the, same, the same four shapes also occur today. There, there has been a consistency within the UFO phenomenon that, is, that has been there for 70 years. Uh, we, we haven't just had a random shapes occurring all this time. There's a consistency in the, the types of shapes that have been seen. Well, I think we're going to have to end it there because we're just you're just flat ass running out of time. Uh, Rob, be careful. Uh, Isn't that kind of a word on air there, uh, Kevin? Hey, it's my show. I can I can say what I want, <laughs> but you can't. So there. Oh. Uh, okay. And you've just you've just cut yourself off. No more invitations to the show. Oh. Uh, no. <laughs> um, I Thanks, assume. Kevin. I assume that the uh, the website would be mufon.com if people want to look for mufon. Is that right? That's a good address. Okay. Um, and I thank you for joining us here on A Different Perspective. Appreciate your insight into MUFON and the uh, UFO phenomenon. It's always a pleasure, Kevin. And, and let me thank you again for let, letting me be on your program. <laughs> I, I appreciate you taking the time out of your busy schedule to do so. Thank you very much. Okay, Kevin. Uh, for those interested, as I have said, we're going to have the we have the pictures up even as we speak here of the um, objects over Bernalillo County in uh, New Mexico, and I'll try to get the frame that I have from the other photograph that uh, Rob was talking about here later up as well, so that you can take a look at those that photograph and compare it to the other four that's on the site, and that's at www.kevinrandall.blogspot.com. In fact, I'll put it up. Uh, with the the link to this program, so that you can you can see it that way. Uh, the the book that I have coming out is called Encounters in the Desert. It's about the Lonnie Zamora sighting, and as I say, Bill or Ben Moss and Tony Angiola kind of inspired this with some of the things uh, that they had said when I was interviewing them on the program, and it took me into a different a different perspective, a different look at the Lonnie Zamora sighting. I had an opportunity to interview some people who hadn't been talked to and uh, get some inside information about what that looks like. Also, um, I'm always a little disappointed that we don't get more response to Roswell in the 21st century, but it's not because, I, I think it's because the book doesn't talk about, well, there's alien creatures all over the place and the bodies and all these second, third, and fourth hand witnesses to it, but it kind of uh, looks at it from a dispassionate point of view and gives you an idea of what we really know about the case as opposed to what we would like to know about the case or what we'd like the case to be. So I, I, you know, I urge you all to take a look at Roswell in the 21st century and I'll continue on there. Next week, with luck, we will have Ben Moss and Tony Angiola on the program. We'll talk about the Zocoro site, sighting. So I think that'll be interesting. You might want to join us for that program and take a look at the other fine programs on the X Zone Broadcast Network at X Zone BN. We will be back in 167 hours. <laughs>